Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we have inside studio Jerry Patterson. He's the father of the concealed handgun license law, now known as the license to carry handgun law. And also inside studio, we have Edwin Walker, the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And we're going to break down a couple different bills for you. We're going to talk about House Bill 131, the red flag law. Also going to talk about House Bill 316, uh, the public awareness or a public safety announcement. Going to talk about that. Also, House Bill 357. Going to talk about that. And Senate Bill 406. I'll tell you what that is. And then hopefully we'll get into House Bill 95 and House Bill 4341. I know I'm throwing all these numbers at you and they're the same numbers from last session, but they mean something totally different this session. Uh, But we're going to break this stuff down for you and I want to get right into it. So first, I want to welcome to the show, Jerry Patterson. Welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. All right. Good to be here, Michael. Absolutely. So, Jerry, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, you know, because you served in uh, in the military. You serve uh, in office in the state of Texas. You run for office. I mean, you've done a lot. I've done a lot. Sometimes I actually did it well, but sometimes <laughs> it was another outcome. But, uh, yeah, I'm from Houston. I went to a and I spent 25 years in the Marine Corps, served at the very end of the Vietnam War, uh, ran for Congress, lost, ran for the Texas Senate, lost, ran for the Senate again, won, unexpectedly, served six years in the Senate. Uh, as you mentioned, authored the uh, concealed handgun law and some other uh, firearms-related bills, and then uh, served 12 years as Texas land commissioner. I'm now retired. Oh, wow. Sort of. How does that feel being retired? Uh, well, it, it, I think it feels pretty good. You know, people ask me, what, <laughs> what have you been doing? And I say, well, I know I've been busy, but I can't tell you what it was. Not because it's secret. I just can't remember. <laughs> Memory's the second thing to go right here. Oh, man, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I turned 50, so that means I'm a step closer to 100 than I am to zero now. Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean. All right, so also I want to welcome to the show Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Edwin, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Well, thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. Always great to be here in studio with you rather than over the phone. So. I know, I know. Yeah, we, we love seeing you in person because you have, man, you bring so much to the conversation, so much knowledge, and, and everyone's always calling and, and asking for advice. And the very first thing I tell them, I cannot give you legal advice. You need to call an attorney because <laughs> I'm not an attorney. Uh, so that's why we have Edwin Walker here to answer those hard questions. And then also, we got Zach over there, our, my co-host. Zach, how are you doing this week? Hey, doing great. All right, awesome. All right, so first, I want to talk a little bit about HB 131. Uh, this is a bill by Representative Moody. And a lot of people, I don't know if some people know who Representative Moody is. He's also the, the representative that's sponsoring uh, a lot of the marijuana bills. 
So he's pushing uh, those bills this session. But this one, we're talking about 131, which is uh, uh, extreme risk protective order. So this is the red flag law. And so um, there are people that are on, you know, that are with the Second Amendment community that actually agree with this, uh, portions of this. There are people that disagree with this altogether 100%. So I kind of want to get into exactly what the bill actually says. And so for that, I kind of want to turn to Edwin Walker. Uh, Edwin, if you can tell us, you know, your interpretation of what House Bill 131 is actually saying it wants to do. Well, uh, the, the thing about it is, is that, and I have to say that this is a better bill than the bill that was put forth in 2017. Um, they changed the name. They added a very important part about that these, uh, that the risks have to be tied or should be tied to a serious mental illness that the person is, is uh, facing. But yet it still, it still suffers from one major flaw. And, um, and of course, red flag laws, I'm using my air quotes, okay. red flag laws are sort of the term of the day, the, the term du jour that people like to throw out there. And my argument has always been that there are plenty of remedies that already exist under Texas law. Mm. And this is an unnecessarily broad uh, law that is, like I said, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think that it's already covered. Any situation that could possibly be covered as a danger is already covered. Now, the reason that I have a problem with this particular law is the existence of one word, and that, well, two words. Okay. And those two words are dangerous behavior. Mm. And it says that somebody can go get this, one of these extreme risk protective orders because the other person exhibits any dangerous behavior. And dangerous behavior is one of those vague terms that uh, especially the criminal law doesn't like. It's like annoying, uh, alarming, harass. Uh, those are things that need definition. They're, they're, the courts have held that those words by their themselves are too vague. But the thing about this is it points specifically for the firearm. You know, it's saying, hey, if something was to happen, uh, then someone get a, a extreme risk protective order and come after your gun or guns. Correct. And that's the and, and that sort of that sort of betrays the intents of the author is that this this bill is not really about protective. It's not really about mental health. It is about guns because it is directed specifically towards guns. And I would like to challenge anybody who supports this, any legislator uh, who who supports it, anybody out there who supports it, if they will read the entirety of Texas Health and Safety Code, Chapter 573, which provides both for the apprehension of somebody who's in immediate danger without a warrant okay. under 573.001 and the apprehension of somebody who is a danger to themselves or others with a warrant pursuant to 573.011, uh, both of these scenarios are covered. And the thing about it is, is that this law has existed. It's existed for almost 30 years in Texas law. I've seen it used. I've seen it used to protect people. Uh, this, along with the penal code provisions, such as the disorderly conduct statute, the terroristic threat statute, the harassment statute, all of this in combination provides more than sufficient tools to law enforcement to keep somebody who has one of these extreme risks. Uh, it, 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 it gives them immediate assistance, especially mm -hmm. 573, because that immediately puts them into custody. Because what you're saying is we already have laws in the books already right now. So you don't think we actually need this law. Correct. Because this law, this extreme <clears throat> risk protective order, it doesn't even put them in custody. It doesn't get them treatment. It doesn't remove them from society. It just simply takes away their guns. And that's the objective of this bill is to take away the guns. And that's why it's unnecessary 
uh, people who do fall into this category, uh, they all there are already a remedies under Texas law that will provide for their uh, provide for their uh, the apprehension of them and the protection of society. Okay, because I can still, you know, if I'm upset, uh, I'm that adamant in doing something. You know, it doesn't stop me from jumping in my truck or jumping in my vehicle and going downtown Austin here and jumping on the sidewalk on 6th Street and just running a bunch of people down. Correct. This law is solely about guns. It's not going to it's not going to remove my freedom. It's not going to remove, you know, remove me from society. It's just going to go after the gun, so I can't use that tool. Correct. Uh, the only way that it affects your dangerousness is that it has it authorizes the police to con- to come confiscate all of your guns with actually very little remedy in getting them back. Uh, so that's uh, you know that that's it. It actually instead of adopting the way that you can get your guns back whenever you are subject to one of these five. All right, hold on, Edwin. There we're talking with Edwin Walker, Texas U.S. Law Show. Also talking with Jerry Patterson. He's the father of the handgun license law. We're talking about red flag laws. Going to talk about some other things as well. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about red flag laws. We're talking about House Bill 131, red flag laws. Also, you know, you hear about that lady, uh, lady, two ladies. I think you were telling me about this, Zach. Two ladies were actually walking out of a bar or walking from a restaurant somewhere. And the this guy grabbed one of the ladies, right? And started trying to sexually assault the lady, right? Is that what happened? Well, that wasn't me that told you about it, but uh, wasn't you? Yeah, the intoxicated woman, right? Yeah. So they're 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 walking together. This guy grabs one of the ladies, started trying to sexually assault her allegedly, and then one of the other ladies grabbed her gun and shot the uh, the bad guy. Now the police got there. They did the investigation. They found out that the lady that did the shooting was intoxicated. So not only that, and this guy actually died as a result a few days later, a few days later from the from the shooting there, but they then charged the lady with being intoxicated and carrying a firearm, and so now she's going to be arraigned on May sixteenth on the charge by the city attorney's office, and so man, Edwin, I'd like to get your thought on that one. Well, obviously, <clears throat> it seems to be a bit of an overreach by the police. Uh, if they determine that the actual incident was um, it was justified, then that to me should have been the end of it. What in about order, jury nullification? Look, well, there possibly could be jury nullification. This took place in Oregon, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, and also, you know, not to not to harp on things that are Reno. Better. I'm sorry, Reno, Nevada. Oh, that's right, Reno. Uh, not to not to harp on things that are that are vague, but uh, uh, certainly intoxication is a crime of opinion. Okay. And so I'd really like to see what evidence they had that she was intoxicated. Yeah. Because she definitely uh, wasn't because negligent because she shot the bad guy. Correct. And didn't injure anyone else. Correct. 
So if their definition of intoxication is just that somebody has taken so much of an intoxicant that they've lost the normal use of their mental or physical faculties, right. uh, certainly, like I said, that is a, that's a crime of opinion, and uh, that, that, that should be able to be defended very well. All right, so let, it, me, let, me go back, let me go back to Jerry. Uh, Jerry, let's, let's switch gears a little bit, talk about red flag laws a little bit, that House Bill 131, because you're actually very passionate about this. Well, I am passionate about doing something uh, that doesn't, um, it's not a gun law per se, although I understand Edwin's point. But here, here's the I believe we don't have a gun problem. We have a nut job problem. Okay. I mean, that, that's where I start from. And so what do we do to keep the hands uh, of nut jobs off of firearms? This is one of the options to do that. And yes, I do support a red flag or ERPA or whatever you want to call it law, but it has to have certain things in it. And as Edwin pointed out, this is better than most. I was not aware of his concern, and I agree with him about definitions where they're needed. And dangerous behavior is wide open. I didn't even notice that. that that's a real problem. But, you know, I, I fear that when we talk about we have plenty of remedies in the law today, okay. some of those remedies may be more harmful and longer-lasting negative impacts on the person we're trying to deprive temporarily of the firearms. I mean, as I understand it, some of the things that you were talking about, i.e. in custody, one can't be in custody unless there's a criminal charge. Am I correct? Unless it's a mental health deal. Well, that's why that's why 573 works perfect because it does allow them to be in custody. That's sort of the, the 72-hour w- Without a criminal period. charge? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I wasn't aware of that. So, you know, we, we, we may be onto something here because I was trying to craft and help, you know, the governor's office craft a, an ERPO law that was respective of due process uh, that required a a criminal penalty if someone made a false complaint. Okay, so let me make sure I understand this. All right, so what's the differences between these two bills? Well, we're not talking about two bills. We're talking about one. But, right, what, but the, but the, the current one. law is what Edwin's talking about. It has okay. to do with um, uh, in the Family Code 573. Which okay. health, health and Safety Code. Health, oh, it's so, Health and so Safety it is, Code. So it is truly a mental health law. Okay. Whereas this just modifies the, the, the Code of Criminal Procedure. So this does echo yeah. more in it, terms Here's of my other law. concern, though. We're talking about a mental health law. You know, a guy that's just a, a he's a, he, I say nut job, but maybe he's just evil. Mm. He may not be mentally mentally ill. Right. So I want to find a method that we can take a firearm away from somebody who is online or making threats or talking about shooting up a school. And if we need an ERPO law or whatever you want to call it. Uh, like there's a down in Florida. Yeah, yeah. So that, the guy in Florida was a classic example. And that was a guy who had threatened family members, I think actually pointed But don't we gun. already have stuff like that that's on the book that takes care of that? Well, you it, know, There has to be of- a complainant. Yeah, there does have to be a complainant, uh, but the police can act as a complainant as well. I mean, just based upon a witness seeing something or a witness, the, the police can be notified. And that's actually one of the benefits of 573 is that if somebody calls and say, hey, there's a guy and he's acting weird, even without a gun, um, the police can show up. And if they make a determination that he, uh, that he, because of a mental illness, they don't have to know exactly what it is. They just say, that guy's crazy. You know, he's a nut job. But if he presents, but if he presents a serious immediate risk to himself or others, they can snatch him up and take him in front of a mental health judge. For how long? It's limited to for 72 hours, 72 hour mental health hold. Okay. So, so, but you, but that doesn't enable them to remove the firearms from the guy. It does specifically. 
Yes. In the in the five seventy three in yes. the family code. Okay. Well, all right. We uh, might be on something. What, you're, what, we're, what we're learning law. here is we may already have a red flag law. Right. But I tell you, I know we have a red flag law, and we've had it for decades, and that's the um, family violence protective order. Yes. Which allows a family member to complain about the potential violence of another family member, and that family member can have their firearms removed from their possession, or former family member, and and so. If we can do that with a person who is not talking about family violence, but talking about school violence, talking about workplace violence, talking about venue violence, if we already have that ability, then we need to fine-tune it to make sure it works. that's what we want. But I, I, you know, I want, want the ability to take a firearm away from somebody, allowing due process with a criminal penalty for someone who makes a false complaint with an automatic end of that order, sub, you know, subject to any subsequent uh, adjudication in a court of law for some offense that would permanently deprive them of their firearms. And, and Moody's bill has that in here. And it has an ex parte hearing. You've got to have a hearing within 14 days of a actual hearing with all the parties present. And within 90 days, the person who had their firearms removed, if they met the standard of, of, the, of the court, uh, can get them back upon petition. So, yeah, I don't think this red flag law is as bad as everybody holds it out to be. Many people opposed to red flag laws are the same people that believe that any law, any regulation of firearms is a violation of the Second Amendment. And that's simply not true. Okay, so, you, so what I'm hearing is what we have right now we actually have the laws right now. Well, uh, that's what Edwin says, and I've, he's a lawyer. I'm not, so okay. I would defer to his judgment. But if we don't, we need the ability, and we need the ability to do it without permanent harm to the person who had the firearms removed. I fear, and we were talking about this. Because we you, you agree everyone needs due process. Yes, but due process is not an arrest and a conviction or adjudication of mental health. It doesn't mental illness. But what I fear is that one of the things we looked at for due, providing due process last summer was that the person has to be charged with a criminal offense, not convicted, but charged. The problem with being charged as the standard for due process is that charge remains on their record unless it's expunged. So you could take firearms away by a red flag order without a criminal charge. That will not be on the person's criminal record. If you require a criminal charge, it will be on their record unless expunged. Well, and, and I think that that is that unfortunately, I think, provides an avenue for abuse, that that standard, you're kind of lowering the standard to say, well, uh, now we can go after more people or now we can restrict more people. Uh, like I said, the benefit of 573 is, is that there is a hearing. Uh, there's an ex parte order. There's a hearing order. And if the person is is truly judged to be mentally and, you know, mental suffer a mental disease or defect, they can be involuntarily committed, which takes their guns away. And one of the things that's really important is, is that the family members or, or they can designate somebody to take, to pick up, to take possession of their guns under the Code of Criminal Procedure. I think that this bill, 131, unnecessarily adds another provision of the Code of Criminal Procedure that does not allow that option, that says that if you take somebody's guns, they really are a threat, they get, they get permanently removed from their right to possess firearms, those guns go. Who to gets a, permanently removed? The the person who was the subject of the red flag protection. Order. No, it's not permanent. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, let's say that he he is a threat. Oh, okay. That he okay. has yeah. done something that where he after all the due process 
this guy shouldn't have guns. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. guns go to the FFL. The guns don't go to a family member or friend or somebody else. They go to the FFL. Now, it does say that they're to be sold and the proceeds given. If he doesn't claim them and he can't claim them if he's been permanently denied. Correct. Yeah, okay. Whereas the code provision that already exists, that they could just simply say the remedy for getting somebody's guns back is already in 18191 of the Code of Criminal Procedure, they could use that. But no, they created a whole new provision, 18.192. Here's what I would love to see. You and Moody sit down and hash this out. Right. Because Moody I mean, wouldn't talk to me last time I went to the well, I, last time I talked to him, he would <laughs> oh. like to talk to you. He says, oh, really? My problem with this whole discussion is we can't have a discussion. And I said, Well, you know, you and I mentioned your name. I said, uh, in a conversation I had with him, you need to talk to Edwin Walker. You know, if there's some maybe there's nothing that needs to be done. But I think one of the things coming out of this conversation here today is that Edwin is supportive of a red flag law, but believes it already exists. All right, and we'll if talk, it does, we don't need one. Yeah. We're talking with Jerry Patterson, the father of the handgun license law. So Edwin Walker, principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. We come back. I want to talk about school marshal because you know what? Some people are saying guns and safety aren't synonymous for us. They're saying that some black Texans fear plans to arm more teachers. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about Red flag laws. Talk about House Bill 131, that red flag law, the one that's going all around the country in a lot of different states. Well, they want to bring that to Texas, the Lone Star State. But you know what? I say we already have laws on the books to handle this. We just need someone to step up to the plate and make a complaint. Be that person. You see something, say something. All right. And so, um, Jerry, I would I would disagree. We don't want people <laughs> stepping up to the plate to make uh, make complaints about potential uh ERPA violations, because we want it to be a limited group of people who can make those complaints, not just anybody. But you're right. You see something, say something. Why, you uh, say, why, why will you say not anybody? Well, because because I, we because don't, I see we don't someone, want an angry, an angry neighbor saying, calling up the cops and saying, hey, this guy's got guns and he's mean. Okay. You know, we, we want in the bill limits to family members, uh, uh, a DA, uh, a peace officer. Now, that person you're describing could go to the peace officer, and the peace officer could make the complaint. Correct. So I, I want a limited number of people who can start initiating an ERPA. But your point is, I think I'm really kind of, my my response is not on your point. Your point is correct. You see something, say something. Damn right. Yeah. Gotcha. And and, and they can take that, like you said, to law enforcement. Yes. And then the law enforcement can yeah, make, the, make complaint the complaint. Once they just... Right. Right. Even if it is yeah. true. No, but, the neighbors. Yeah, all my neighbors hate me. The, yeah. the neighbors would have to go to a family member and let them know. Oh, they could go to a family the, member. Yeah, yeah. Dangerous behavior. Yeah. And then. And, and I'm sorry, Zach. And what were you saying earlier? You, I, I knew you probably lost. Yeah, that. I was just uh, asking Edwin during the break about the differences in this law. He's talking about this already on the books and the new law. And a couple of things that uh, we were talking about were. Uh, first, that the definitions are becoming more vague in the new law, uh, using the term dangerous behavior as... Um, what is you know, that? What is dangerous behavior? 
What, is riding a it's motorcycle dangerous? Right. Because yeah. <laughs> if I do something that, you know, you, oh, man. Driving you on I-35. With. Yeah. And, and, of course, with the, you know, with the current, um, with the current examination of people's speech, uh, you know, it doesn't say conduct. It says behavior. And so is and dangerous. No, is there a definition for dangerous behavior? No. Is, Ooh, is, does, bang, does, does behavior include speech or is exclusively limited to conduct? It could include speech. That's the whole point. If you have somebody with speech on a Facebook page threatening to, you know, I'm sick of this. I think I'll blow them up. That's speech. And that well, actually is kind of behavior right. in a way. And, but, and that's already covered under the terroristic threat law. That would require charge, though. True. It would require a criminal charge, which would remain on the record of that person until expunged. Yeah, but if the person really did it, wouldn't we want that person to be prosecuted? I mean, I've got problems with a lot of the penal code myself. So, But I'm just saying, in theory, uh, if this person has said things that were like, oh, my God, that oh, yeah, is crazy yeah, dangerous, yeah. let's remove him from society, mm. yeah. then the penal law already exists. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You agree with that? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the problem, yes, yeah, so if the guy's actually guilty of criminal behavior, okay. you know, but you know, you've said things, I've said things that I've, Somebody could look back and say, "Well, he's threatening me." <laughs> well, and like we I said, yet today. Well, and like I said, just this past week, um, Facebook banned a dozen people uh, because they were because they said they were a danger without explaining what yeah. that even meant. They said these yeah. people are dangerous. Criminal. We're taking away their Facebook. Page. Sad. It's terrible. So should, yeah. So should you know, Facebook did it, but do we want to let government do it? Correct. I, I mean, I'm even locked out of Facebook. I'm not banned. I've been banned or blocked or anything like that. I'm just locked out. I can't get into my account. So if you're sending me messages, you're trying to see my account. You can't see the account. It doesn't exist. It disappeared. And the only reason that happens is because we're changing the URL to something else. And in the process of changing that URL, we got locked out. And so that made the whole account disappear. So don't take it personal. I didn't, you know, unfriend you. You just can't find me on Facebook. I'm not there. So got to get get to me the old-fashioned way. <laughs> so also another difference in the old law that we were talking about versus this new red flag law, Edmund was saying that the new law uses the uh, insurance definition for mental illness. Is that correct? Serious mental illness. Now, that's serious scary. mental illness. And some of these serious mental illnesses are things like childhood depression and OCD. Oh, wow. Everyone I know is OCD. Yeah. Right. All my friends. Matter of fact, everyone I yeah. <laughs> close to is OCD. Which I think a better definition, if they were to say a mental illness or explain what a serious mental illness is, I think using the definition or the examples of mental illness out of the LTC law, government code 411-172, that those are the really dangerous mental illnesses that this bill should be aimed at. All right. And let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about uh, Senate Bill 406 um, because there's a story that ran on May 1st in the Texas Tribune, and it says that guns and safety aren't synonymous for us. It has that in quotes. It says that some black Texans fear plans to arm more teachers. So they're talking about the school marshal bill, which is Senate Bill 406. Uh, and what people don't realize is that we've had the school marshal in effect since um, last session. OK, but here's another thing they're forgetting about. Ever since 1995. You know, in 4603, paragraph one, very last line says that the school's. You know, the institutions have the authority to give anyone written permission to carry. 
So yeah. they've always had this since 1995, yeah. right, Jerry? They could they could allow a CHL at that time, now LTC holder, to come on the premises at the school. And of course, keep in mind, I define premises to be building or portion of a building to exclude anybody who had a gun in their car, which was... And you did that definition. Yeah. I mean, we made lots of definitions that have bared fruit. But the thing about, it, you know, this, this Senate bill is that I maintain we don't have a school marshal program now because a gun locked up in a gun safe is no good. Is no, it's not a gun. It's just in a gun safe. It might as well be a, a you know a five pound weight. Uh, and so this bill would eliminate that requirement that it remain locked up. And, and so what Senate Bill four hundred six does, Edwin, is what it would allow the school marshal to actually carry the gun on him uh, whenever he interacts with students. So that's the pre- That's the current prohibition. Is that. If the marshal has a position or a job where he is regularly interacting with students, then he has to keep his gun locked up. Okay. This would allow the school marshal to actually carry the gun. At the so, discretion of the school. Correct. And that's the important part. Is now, that it's completely discretionary and it's completely voluntary. Now, are you good with that, Jerry? Oh, yeah. I testified for the bill. It was one of the most entertaining bills that I've seen, though, listening to the opposition testimony, which was just basically bizarro. Our, our mom's group... Uh, you know, the moms always get up and say, I've got a CHL, I'm not against the guns. I think they all went to get CHL so they could say that, and that's that's smart. But that's the plan, it was interesting that, that... That and they wanted to skip the line at the Capitol. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that too. And so but, they, can also, they got the little NRA cards so they can yeah. say they're an NRA member as well. The the, the other thing that, that they, they were testifying, that the lady was, I forgot her name, nice lady, uh, opposed to the bill, because, you know, marshals have to have 80 hours of training. That's a lot more than I thought until the hearing. I found it was 80. That's a lot of training. Right. But she, her point was they're not as well-trained as police officers. They don't have the same training as, as, as police officers. Well, they're not police officers. Well, they're not police officers, nor do they need the same. They don't need to know their laws about search and seizure. They don't Someone's need to Someone's come into the, the school to try to shoot and kill yeah. me or my students in my classroom. I just want to be able to stop them. And they need to know the laws related to deadly force. They need to know some training as to shoot, don't shoot. But when asked by Representative um, um, Dennis Paul from down at Clear Lake, he says, well, okay, I see your point. You think they need more training. What level of training would it require for you to support the bill? And he kept up in the ante to where they were magna, magna peace officer trained. <laughs> they were trainers for the trainers. And she would not. She said, "No, I just, I just can't support it. We don't, we don't need, we don't need guns in school." And her so, premise was they're not well trained. So then he presented a circumstance in which they were super trained, and she still couldn't go along with the bill. And she says, "I just don't want that ratio to change. It's one per two hundred students is how many marshals you can have now." So she just wants unarmed children. She wants, she wants unarmed schools. That's a legitimate opinion. I think it's crazy, but. The idea that the mere presence of the firearm is somehow going to result in death. I mean, if you're going to have a school of martial program, they need to be carrying. She couldn't stand that concept. Hmm. Interesting. Bizarre testimony. All right. So I also want to bring up, uh, you want to say anything about that? Well, uh, yeah, I was talking with my sister uh, not too long ago after the Parkland shooting. And I have uh, three nieces and a nephew. One of them is in high school. And after that shooting, I mean, they go to high school in Texas. Um, after the shooting, she was just morbidly fearful. My niece, my 16-year-old niece of going to school wow. just because of that shooting and just had this completely irrational fear of guns, just mortified of them. And, and so I couldn't long- think, you know, any other way other than just to be scared. How long did that last? Um at least a few months. Okay. 
And so she's kind of back to normal now on on, on little ways on heading the phone. More so, yeah. <laughs> heading the phone, not paying attention to anything that's going on around. Yeah, me. which which I mean, it, it, unfortunately, you know, it is a tragedy that occurred. So yes, a child getting shot at school is a tragedy, but it is really a singular tragedy. And I'm not a mathematician or a statistician, but I'd really like to see somebody actually calculate out the number of students who have gone to school, say, since Columbine, the number of students who've gone to school, the number of school days that they have gone, and divide, you know, find out what ratio that is with the number of students who have been killed or injured at school. Uh, because the percentage, the, you know, that ratio is going to be so infinitesimally small because millions of kids go to school for, what, 180 days a year? So you have millions of kids going to school, 180 days a year, that all go to school and learn safely without any harm coming to them at all. Which, believe it or not, was the point that the the gun uh, Moms Against Gun Violence made at that SB 406 hearing. They made the point, well, it's such a small number of, of tragic incidents anyway. Why do we need marshals? So they were using your argument to oppose SB 406. But they would all be opposed, I mean, but they would all be in favor of everybody losing their right to possess a semi-automatic rifle because of it. All right. And the next bill I want to talk about, and we'll probably have to carry this on after the break, though, is House Bill 316, which is public awareness. It's actually uh, House Bill 316 is relating to a public awareness campaign on firearm safety and suicide prevention. So what it is is a bill that basically says, hey, the Texas Department of Public Safety – can make a public safety announcement when it comes to suicide prevention and firearm safety. And so when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about that because actually, guess what? I'm in support of this bill. <laughs> I actually support this one. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. We're also got to talk about uh, House Bill 357, Constitutional Carry. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Talk 1370. Shotgun Willis, it's around in his arm. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about House Bill 357 now. And that's going to be the Constitutional Carry Bill, sponsored by Jonathan Stickland. Uh, so, you know, what's your thoughts on Constitutional Carry, Jerry? Uh, I support Constitutional Carry, except for concealed. You, except for concealed. So so con- except for concealed. If you're going to carry gun- concealed, you need a license. That's my opinion. Hate okay. me all you want. No, 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 no. No. All right, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely, all the way. Concealed and open. Uh-huh. Concealed and open? Um, well, I, you know, it's kind of interesting that that's what, that, that you know, Senator Patterson said, uh, you know, not concealed, which is actually the way that most states were. Uh, that, that was what actually created the concealed carry license, is that most states said exactly that. They said, absolutely, you can carry a handgun, but you can't carry a concealed handgun. In fact, one of our most famous uh, constitutional criminal cases, Terry versus Ohio, came about because in Ohio, you could legally carry a visible handgun, 
could not carry a concealed handgun, and Terry got searched, got charged, and, and so that was what he was actually tried and convicted on. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's sort of the way it's always been: is you can carry a carry a, a visible handgun, can't carry a concealed one. Um, the problem with three fifty seven though is that it's way too cumbersome, for my opinion. Why do you say that? Uh, it's just got too many provisions. It alters. It could be very very much more straightforward, mm. uh, and that's one of the things that. Uh, you know, of course, the media says the media always conflates the handguns and just firearms in general. And so if you want to do the concealed, you know, if you want to do the constitutional carry route, uh, just go through, look to see how the penal code treats long guns and treat handguns similarly. You know, you don't have to, but but 357 carves out a bunch of weird things. Uh, one of the things that really I, I found kind of uh, troubling about it was that uh, if you're carrying a handgun and you commit any violation of law other than a traffic offense or a boating offense, uh, then you're also committing the offense of unlawful carry. So the one that immediately comes to mind is littering. Mm. You know, if somebody litters and they're carrying a handgun, boom, they're also charged with UCW. And I think that that's kind of preposterous. Yeah, I agree with, with that. We think, Jay. I didn't, I didn't know that, but yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. Whatever the long gun standard is, or carry. I mean, I can carry. I can carry. Well, long guns is, is constitutional, really. I mean, it's open, concealed. We're good. Well, it's kind of hard to conceal a long gun, but yeah, True. but you could, yeah. But uh, but I, that should be just to make the handgun like the long gun. Right. Uh, except in my case, as I mentioned, I don't believe in uh, constitutional concealed carry. I think if you're going to carry concealed, you need a license. And I think one of the one of the sort of just as a side note, one of the kind of interesting things about three fifty seven is that if it were to pass. Uh, then it really illustrates how the club lobby has fallen down on the job. Because if 357 would pass, the only weapon you couldn't carry would be a club. <laughs> you can carry knives, you can carry all your guns, you cannot carry a club. You Is will... Dirk and Poignard still in the... No, it's they're, gone. they're gone. They're gone. Carry all the knives you want, carry all the guns you want. You will not carry Carrier. a club in the state of Texas. You now, will face class A misdemeanor. Now, let me ask you this, you know, because constitutional carry, from what we hear, is dead. Uh, the speaker says dead. And honestly, I, th I think it never had a chance in the beginning because I don't think the governor really supported it. I don't think the lieutenant governor really uh, was supporting it. Um, and so it's, it's now on the hands of the speaker for some strange reason. Um, because of this little incident that happened, you know, in the speaker's district, uh, you guys hear about that story and all yeah, that hoopla. Yeah, uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Jerry? Well, I, I, I'm just remiss at the gentleman's name that uh, was knocking on doors. Chris McNutt. You, yeah, Chris. I, Chris. I, yeah. I don't think Chris did anything wrong. Maybe, maybe he's zealous, but I don't think he made any threats. I don't think he behaved in a threatening and, manner at all. And, and Chris is actually a super, super nice guy. Yeah, I don't think he did anything wrong. But what I will tell you, if you look at Bonin's Facebook page and you look at some of the gun, pro-gun, pro-second amendment, you know, and and they ain't helping. Yeah, can't uh, use the A word. Yeah, and so, I <laughs> Matt was. Uh, I mean, he Chris McNutt was not one. I mean, he was polite, did everything right. I mean, he has a right to go knocking on doors. But there are others who fit in a different category totally, and they're not helping the cause. Right. Yeah, and yeah, and so, yeah, because Chris, Chris is a super nice guy. And yeah. I think by going to your, your representative, your elected official's neighborhood and actually block walking in the neighborhood, I don't think anything's wrong with that. No, I think that's tactically sound. I think it was a smart move. Yeah. And yeah. I, and that's what I think that's what caught the speaker off guard. Yeah. And of course you have to consider the speaker's side. I mean, he's he's getting all this hate mail. People are saying I'm gonna blow up whatever and, and there right. were some real I mean, 
he's getting all this stuff. And then his wife calls and she's, there's a guy outside, you know. So it went from there to something to that. that did not occur. I don't think Chris did anything wrong. And uh, so you but, don't think really this, that's what the speaker intended to happen. It's just that with everything going on, he's just like, okay, now this guy's at, outside of my freaking home. you look at comments home. on his Facebook page, most of which have been deleted, I understand. Oh, really? And the comments on other pages, you'll see that there are people out there that should not be involved in public discourse on any side of any issue. Yeah, people just totally, yeah. Sometimes, it, you know, they forget. Sometimes we have a little drink or a couple drinks or whatever, and we get online at night. I, I, I can understand that. <laughs> I can do it without drinking. <laughs> one, of, one of the things that I'm curious about, though, is did Speaker Bonin actually say that 357 would allow convicted felons to carry handguns? He did. Did he? Yeah. Well, that is a total misrepresentation. It is. I right. mean, that is 100% wrong. I don't know if he said convicted felons, but he said felons. But if you, if you look at his statement, he never intended to support the bill in the first place. By the statement that he released, uh, he wasn't really trying to support it. And so he was just looking for, they were just looking for a way out anyway. Well, I... I bristle against dishonesty in any respect. So <laughs> the, the fact he said that, I mean, that I think that really that, that really betrays his true feelings. He has a history of saying controversial things. Uh, I remember well, maybe it was six years ago, he used the term kunas when mm-hmm. somebody went off and that's racist. It's not racist at all. It's, it's, like, it's like saying Cajun. goat roper to right. criticize a Texan, you know, or actually it's a term of endearment. But the, the press went nuts on him. Uh, so wait a minute. So he's, he doesn't filter very well. You know, uh, maybe he's kind of like Donald Trump. He doesn't filter very well. Yeah, just got to remember now you're Speaker of the House and you know, yes. you're in that little microscope and everyone's you know, looking yeah. at every little thing you well, do you can and be, say. You can be opposed to the bill. I would just like people to be honest about it yeah. and not spread misinformation. Yeah. All right, now there's one bill that I want to talk to you before we go off the air here, uh, and that's House Bill 3016. I didn't mention that one at all. House Bill 3016, uh, and basically what that does is it says, you know, what already we can do, we can continue to do. And that's the bill that talks about license holders being able to have their handgun in a holster that fits in a belt or shoulder and have the handgun sitting on the seat while it's in the holster and they have a license in the open. And there's some confusion because uh, the who did this story? The the statesman did this story and then the Texas Tribune ran with it as well. And they're giving people this impression that right now, the way our law is written right now, that if you're in your vehicle, you're in your car, you have a license to carry a handgun, that you have to have the handgun and a holster on you in the vehicle. That just comes from their inability to read a penal code (laughs) statute, Uh, because, yes, it is perfect because the law says that first of all, in order to be charged with unlawful carry, uh, you have to be the you the gun has to be on or about you. Mm-hmm. So if the police officers already made the decision that you are carrying within the within the scope of honor about you, then the next question is, is that gun then that handgun then within a holster? So it's a two it's a two process, it's a two part process. Are they carrying? And if the answer is no, then the gun doesn't have to be in a holster. The yeah. The holster issue becomes irrelevant if you're not carrying on or about you. So it makes no sense to say, oh, you're carrying if it's on or about you, but then you're breaking the law if it's not actually on you. So as long, it, it as, long as you, the word about. So as long as you have your LTC, you're in your vehicle, that handgun's in a holster, holster that fits in bed, or show the holster, then you can have the handgun sitting on the seat. Correct. Now, 31, you know, 31.6 does... I guess add that little extra layer of protection, Which and is, you know, I'm me. I'm always in favor of making the laws more clear, 
And so if they want to come out and literally spell it out in black and white to say, look, the holster can be anywhere. And the good thing about 316 that it does do is it eliminates the belt or shoulder requirement for cars that are in holsters. So one of the questions that I get all the time from people that I, whenever I do speaking engagements or phone calls, uh, they always ask me, are those holsters that mount into the car, right. belt or shoulder, are those legal holsters? I say, no, it's no. not a belt or shoulder holster. This bill would be beneficial because then that would that would legalize, you know, car mounted holsters. Okay. And Jerry, before we go, what's your thought on that? I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I carry on my person all the time. I'm into carts on my person. So I don't have I never thought about it. And I've tried to understand this and I got, I don't think I could explain it, but I'm with I'm with Edwin. If I can't explain it, I'm always with Edwin. <laughs> well, like I said, and and I'm I'm I speak from personal experience because I'm left-handed. Right. It's it's uh, it's not practical to carry in a car because I couldn't use this against a carjacker because I'm left-handed, and so I have to put it on the seat where I can have access to it with my right hand. You know, the first the first uh, use of a um, license holder that resulted in a death was a handgun on a seat under a newspaper. Mm. And that was in January or February of 1996, and it was a, a altercation resulting from a car, you know, a road rage deal. And one guy got out of his car, walked back two cars to the guy he thought had dissed him, reached in and started pummeling this guy. And the guy, the guy that was the guy that was doing the pummeling was a guy named Kenny Kenny Tavai, muscular, real. And so the guy in the in the driver's seat reached under the newspaper and shot and killed him. I want to thank Jerry Patterson for coming on the show today. I want to thank Edwin Walker with, with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. As always, you know, and Jerry, he is the father of the handgun license law. He helped write this stuff, so he knows more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. I'll take my Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.